0: Every week, and they make um, the place look good. They they take care of those seat backs that we are talking about. They make sure um, the announcements are up to date. They make sure that they are there to welcome and greet you and make you feel at home. The goal of the hospitality team is to take people who come into our church as strangers, uh, and by the time they leave, to leave as friends, to leave as, a, as to leave as family. Um, and so it goes beyond just seat backs and making place the place look clean. They have a desire to create an atmosphere that is welcoming and encouraging and engaging Um, and so thank you for everybody who serves on the hospitality team it's it's vital it's important thank you for doing it thank you for being part of that team if that's something that interests you um, please go ahead and fill out on those connect cards Monica was talking about circle hospitality team and Sarah uh, will reach out to you and get you connected uh, to serve there so um, thank you again for our hospitality team Uh, This morning, we're going to be, as I said, in the book of Proverbs. We've been in this book uh, through most of this summer, and so usually I come up and I say, go to Proverbs blank. And you guys, we have like a landing place. Uh, Today, we don't really have that. And so in your bulletins, uh, there should be a little quarter sheet of paper that has all of the references I'm going to go through today. Um, So you can keep that so you can follow along. So if you get lost, you have a spot. They will be on the screen behind me. um, But we're going to move kind of quick. And we got a lot of bouncing around to do. I tried to have some kind of logical order within points. um, But... uh, we're still going to be bouncing around a bunch, so you should have that. If you didn't grab a bulletin, there's one on the back table by the front door, so go ahead and grab that. I won't be offended if you get up. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about friendship. Uh, you know, as kids, we uh, our friends are usually chosen for us, right? We don't have a whole lot of say in the matter, usually chosen by our parents, and usually it's based on proximity, right? It's It's Uh, somebody you go to school with, it's somebody you're in an activity with, usually really it's the kids of the parent, you know, the parent's friends, you're kind of stuck playing and becoming friends with their kids. Um, And that kind of goes throughout most of our childhood. But the older you get, the more independence you get, the more choice you have in the matter, the more decision power you have on who and who aren't your friends. So the question is, how are we using that power because I think in childhood, you know, as we're growing up, usually it's uh, who's the coolest kid in school? I want to be friends with that person. You know, who's the funniest? Who's the smartest? Who's the most athletic? I want to be around that person. Kind of surface level reasons. But what we want to talk about today, and what the Bible is going to tell us, is that when we are choosing friends, it is with great power comes great responsibility. And so when we are choosing friends, we need to be careful with who we have around us. Author Edna Buchanan said, friends are the family that we choose for ourselves. All throughout scripture, we see that we are made for relationships. We are made to be connected to others. In Genesis, we see Adam, uh, Adam is created, and he's in the garden, and God says, he needs a helpmate. He needs somebody else. And, and God parades all of the animals in front of Adam, and none of them are the right helpmate. And so God creates Eve. And Adam says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, somebody like me, somebody I can connect with, someone who is made in the same way I was made, made in the image of God. This makes sense. Adam and Eve were created to be in relationship with one another. It's who we are. We are made to be in relationship with one another because it's who God is. God has eternally always been in relationship. God within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, all fully God, all equal, all in perfect relationship with one another. It's who God is. It's important to him. And so he has created in us as well to be made for relationships. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If we avoid relationships, if we avoid friendships, real true biblical friendships, we are missing and losing out on an essential part of life an essential part of life that God intended for us from the beginning. And furthermore, we will allow ourselves to break against all sound judgment. If the people you have around you, if you don't have strong, biblically-based relationships around you, you will break against sound judgment. Now, we aren't saying, hear me, we aren't saying don't have non-Christian friends, right? What I'm talking about is if we have, you know, layers, if, if it's a proximity thing of who our friends are, who are those inner closest people, that inner closest handful of friends, those go-to people, that three to four people that influence you, those three to four people that are really engaged in your life, those people, those inner, that inner circle, those close, close friends, who are those people? What kind of friends are they? Who are the friends you have in that circle? And also, are you that kind of friend? If you are in the inner circle of somebody else, what kind of friend are you to them? Biblical friendship is essential. And so this morning, we're going to look at the importance of friendship, why it is so important to us, why it is so vital. We're going to look at the character of what a biblical friend looks like. And then we're going to talk about the power by which we can have these kind of friendships and we can be these kind of friends. And I hope this morning that you will evaluate, as I said, the people in your own life. Who are the people that maybe need to get pushed from the inner circle to a little bit farther out because they're not building you up. So evaluate maybe the relationships within your own life, but then also, what kind of friend are you? Are you the kind of friend others want to have in their inner circle? So that's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in uh, to Proverbs. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for another day to celebrate you, to worship you, to glorify you. Lord, thank you, even for, thank you for the rain and for the, the life-giving nature it has. God, we came here this morning for a variety of reasons, but ultimately we come here to hear from you, to engage with you. And so, Lord, we ask this morning through your Spirit to enlighten our understanding, purify our desires, quicken our will to respond in obedience to your word, and strengthen us to pursue the good works that you have laid out for us. Lord, as we look at your word and we study what it means to be a friend, God, help us to honestly evaluate ourselves and honestly evaluate those that we call friends. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So let's start with the importance of biblical friendship. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn says, You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Think about that for a second. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. What does that average look like in your life? Mark Zuckerberg also says, people influence people. Nothing influences people more than the recommendation from a trusted friend. Whether it's buying a new car, going to a restaurant, a movie, a show to watch... We base those things off of our friends. What are our friends like? What are our friends into? And they give us recommendations. You You have that friend who's into really good music, so you constantly ask them what they're listening to, so you start listening to it. You have that friend that's really into certain books, and so what are you reading, and you want to read it as well? Our friends influence the decisions we make. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Like it or not, you are influenced by the people you spend time with. They bring out the things within you that are similar with each other, right? Those things that you have in common, those things get emphasized, those things get brought to light even greater when you're with those people. But also the things you have that are different, those things can sometimes rub off on you. Right? If you have a friend who has an accent, over time you might start picking up a little bit of that or you might start using words that they use that you don't normally use. The things that you have in common can get emphasized, but even the things you have that are different can rub off on you. This Proverb 13.20 says, whoever walks with the wise. So you have to walk with them. It's an Old Testament way. It's the the rabbi life. When you were uh, studying under a rabbi, you walked with a rabbi. That means to spend time with, to spend life with. Where they went, you went. Where they ate, you ate. You would spend so much time, if you were studying to be a rabbi, you would spend so much time with your teacher that over time you picked up their character traits. You picked up the way that they taught, the way that they interpreted Scripture, so that down the road when you yourself were teaching Scripture, someone could hear how you were explaining a passage, and they would say, oh, they're a student of so-and-so. You can hear it in the way that they go through this. You can see it in the way they live. That's what I meant to walk with. And so in the New Testament, when we see Jesus say to the disciples, follow me, he's saying, walk with me, come and learn, come and, come and be with me, come and learn how to do life. And so here it's, we are called to walk with the wise. Walking is engaging. It's an active action verb. It's intentional. And so when it comes to walking with the wise, to walk with is to learn from, to engage with. So when you have those wise people in your life, take advantage of them. And what I mean by that is be intentional with that relationship. I have two guys in my life who um, are are mentors of a sort to me. One of them, I kind of want him to adopt me as his grandson, but that's a whole other thing I'm working through. But when I see them, I don't see them super often, but when I do, ahead of time, before I meet with them, I think about what are the things I want to talk about? What are the questions I have? What What are the things I want their input on, their insight from? I go into those meetings because they're sometimes short, because we we don't see each other very often. I go in saying, okay, I, I want to hit these certain points. I'm intentional with that relationship because they have wisdom that I want to pull out. But even when it's somebody who's close to you, somebody who you see regularly, don't take that relationship for granted, but instead lean into it. Take advantage of the fact that you have wise friends, you have wise counsel within, close to you. Ask questions. Be active in that relationship. Because otherwise, if we are walking with fools, it says the companion of fools will suffer harm. Fools are, th- are, fools are not thoughtful. They do not consider their ways. They don't consider the consequences. Once again, we see in Proverbs, there's two ways to live, right? The way of the fool that leads to death, the way of the wise that leads to life. Which one are you following? Which one are you, ha- who do you have on your inner circle? Are they fools or are they wise? Are they people that are leading you, away from what God is calling you to? Or are they people who are building you up and leading you, leading you to what God is calling you to? The choosing of your friends is important because it can have great and grave consequences. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Choose wisely the people that you spend time with so that you don't get caught up in the chaos of somebody else's life. So that you are not guilty by association. Wrapped up in something because of someone else. That idea of entangle in a snare, it's caught in a trap. That trap set by the other person's foolishness, by the other person's uh, wrathful, a wrathful man, someone given to anger. Lest you learn their ways and entangle yourself in a stare. Because as I said, like it or not, the people you spend time with, they influence you. And so if you are spending time with an angry person, that's going to rub off on you. And you are setting yourself a trap that you will step into. The choosing of your friends has great and serious importance because it affects the rest of your life. And so because it is so important, we need to know, okay, so who are these? What does a good friend look like? What does a biblical friend look like? What, is the, what are the characteristics I'm looking for? Who are those people I want on my inner circle? So, I want to pull out four characteristics of what a biblical friend looks like. The first one is that a biblical friend is constant. Proverbs 17 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A true friend loves at all times, in the good and in the bad. When it's easy and life is fun, and when it's hard, a good friend loves at all times. They are the ones who are always with you, always for you, no matter what, encouraging you and have your back in every circumstance. I might have told this story before, but one of my best friends, um, I I came home late one night, and I go to my house. My house was empty, and I go to the front door, and the front door was open. It was a a jar. I was like 16 at a time, so I was kind of freaking out. And didn't know what to do. Couldn't get a hold of anybody in my family. And so I just left my friends. And so I called them and said, hey, I, I don't know what to do here. Can you just, I just don't want to go in there. Can you just meet me somewhere else? Um, and so uh, I think Sarah was actually driving. And uh, my buddy jumps out of her van. It, she had to be been driving because he jumped out of the van. Jumps out of a van with a baseball bat and says, I got this. Let me at him. He had no idea what was waiting for him on the other side of that door. But that's the kind of friend he is. In good and bad, he is there. He is loyal, sometimes loyal too far. But he said, you know what? I don't care what the situation is. I got your back on this. These kind of friends are hard to find because often when things get tough, people get going. When it's no longer convenient, when you can no longer offer someone something, oftentimes that's when they step away and disappear. Right? We've heard of fair-weather fans. Well, there's also fair-weather friends. When things are going good, they're around, but as soon as life gets hard, they're nowhere to be found. In comparison, Proverbs 25, 19 says, Trusting in a treacherous man in times of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. A true friend loves always in the good and the bad, but trusting in a treacherous man in times of trouble is like trusting a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Unstable, unsure, not trustworthy, right? Think of a little kid with a loose tooth, and they bite into an apple and they pull the apple away, and their tooth is sitting in there. Or if you're walking up a hill, and you take a step, and your foot gives way, and the the ground goes out. Unstable, unsure. That's what it's like to trust in a treacherous person. To trust in somebody who is in the foolish category. To trust in somebody who is not worthy of your trust. This proverb brings up the role of a brother in Proverbs 17, 17. It said, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. It connects the idea of a friend who loves always, a friend who is loyal all the time with that of family. Family is born for adversity, it says. Family exists for those hard times because family is there no matter what. They are always engaged, always with you, always for you. And so the Bible says that's when family shows up, right? When everything goes haywire, you got your family right there. When everything goes wrong, when adversity is thrown your way, you should be able to lean on your family. Solomon says, a friend who loves at all times is like that. A friend who loves at all times is like family. This is a huge statement to make in Scripture. Because at that time in history, it was family and that's it. It was you and your clan versus the world. That was the most important relationship you had was your family the emphasis of a friend being this important was not a way that they thought back then. And I'd argue even now, we don't really put as much of an emphasis on friendship as we do, as we maybe should. We like to throw around, you know, hashtag BFF, but the love of a friend is not nearly as well-received as, say, romantic love, right? Think about, I don't know, any movie ever has the romantic lead in it, right? It's always the will-they-won't-they, even the buddy cop movies, one of them is going after a girl. Why? Because romantic love, that's the thing we're interested in. That's the thing that, that's the thing that we're, we're tied to. That's the thing that draws us in. Think about great songs written. And while there are some that remind us that you've got a friend in me, how many more talk about the love of our life or love lost? The amount of love songs written towers in comparison to songs about friendship love. We've put it in the wrong category. We've made it less than what it could be, what it should be. Because a true friend, a constant friend, that's a friend that you can lean on. That's a friend that becomes like family. So biblical friend is constant. That's number one. Number two, they are trustworthy. Proverbs eleven thirteen: Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Biblical friendship is grounded in trust. To be able to be open and honest with someone. To reveal the areas of your life that you struggle in. To be vulnerable enough to allow them in. That takes trust. And it can take time. It's the person you can be honest with and not worry about them spreading your business around. It's going to stay between you two. Now, we're not talking about someone who's going like, to help you rob a bank or hide a body. Like, that's not, that's not the kind of friend we're talking about, Okay? This is about trusting someone with your heart, trusting someone with your flaws, trusting that they won't trusting that they won't leave, trusting that they won't gossip. Being able to be real with that person and know that it's going to stay between you. This proverb says the person who is slandering about someone is also going to reveal their secrets. So if someone is constantly talking to you about someone else, say you have a coworker and they're constantly talking to you about another coworker, large bet says they're doing the same thing about you to other people. Be trustworthy. Be the person people can depend on, the people that can be open and honest with. This actually kind of got me in trouble in college. I was part of a, I've talked about, I was part of a small group, and a large part of our small group uh, was built on confession uh, and accountability. And so we would, you know, we'd get together and we'd we'd confess sins and we'd remind each other that there is grace to be had at the cross of Jesus Christ that you are forgiven and loved. Go and you can live into your new life. And that was part of our regular routine. The issue uh, was that I was an RA in college, and so I had certain rules I had to like, you know, enforce. Um, And we never really talked about. We were like the guinea pigs for this whole new way of doing community groups and and small groups at, at school. And so we never really like, talked about like, what happens when somebody confesses to me something that they did that breaks what we call Trinity expectations, the things that I was supposed to enforce. What do we do about that? And so since we never really talked about it, I had somebody confess to me that they had done some stuff. Uh, I confessed to them that I had done some stuff. And we had trust in each other enough to say, okay, you confessed it, you repented of it, go and sin no more. like You're living into grace. And that was great for us. But when the school found out about it, it was not so great. Um, and I got in a lot of trouble for not doing what I was supposed to do. And they got in a lot of trouble for not doing what they were supposed to do by the school's standards. But in actuality, what we were doing, we were living into a level of relationship that none of us had at 20 years old. That we had never experienced before. And I'll be honest, I've had trouble experiencing since. These are friends who have become lifelong friends for me because there is a level of trust and intimacy. There's a, I know I can say anything. I can, be, I can come and be broken and be open and honest with them, and I will find grace there, and I will find forgiveness there, and I will know that that's not going to go any farther than those couple of guys. A biblical friend is trustworthy, someone who you can be real with, someone who you can go past, how's your week? Good, fine, busy, tired, see you next week but someone who knows you, who really, truly knows you, and will ask those hard questions and will get into your life and will find those things out and keep them to themselves. A biblical friend is trustworthy. So a biblical friend is constant, is trustworthy. A third one is that they are open. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We looked at this verse last week. A true friend will be real with you, will be candid with you, will be willing to have the hard conversations with you for your good. Now, this doesn't mean that they are only having hard conversations with you, right? There's a time and a place. Not every conversation has to be constant conviction. And it's not even about trying to always have to, always trying to um, worry about being perfect with one another. It's not loving to let someone keep going in sin, right? If you know you have a friend who is constantly pursuing sin, it's not loving to just minimize that. Oh, it's no big deal. Everybody struggles. Everybody messes up. Just try harder. Hey, how about you pray about it? That's not loving. No, to be open, to be candid with someone. Because it is loving to take a flashlight and shine it into the darkness of their life and saying, hey, I see how this is going And before it gets really bad, we need to bring this out. We need to bring this to light. Let's talk about it. Right? I have, um, I receive uh, people's, uh, I have friends and and acquaintances who I receive their accountability reports of what they look at on websites, um, you know, for purity's sake. And I receive those reports. It would be unloving of me if I read that report, I saw something inappropriate and didn't say anything. No, the loving thing, though it is hard, the loving thing is to say, hey, what happened here? Hey, I noticed this. Let's talk about it. Let's bring that up. What's going on with you? Now, again, it's not every time, and it's not everything that you just, if you just don't like something about somebody's personality. Hey, that's wrong. That's not biblical. We're talking about biblically based. Hey, I see you pursuing sin. Hey, I see you struggling this. This might be uncomfortable, but let's have this conversation. Let's talk about what it looks like to come out of that. It says, the wounds of a friend, sometimes the things done in love to correct and bring back someone, though it hurts, it's important when it's done in love. And that's the key, done in love. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. To sharpen iron, you need force, and you need friction and heat. It's not a comfortable situation. It's not a comfortable process, but it's needed and essential. A true friend is willing to have the open, honest, blunt conversations with you. They are willing to let that iron sharpen your iron. So they are open. They are candid with you. Number four, they are aware. They are emotionally aware. Proverbs 25.20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. This may seem contradictory to the last point about being open and candid, but it's not. What we're talking about here is being emotionally aware of somebody. It means being sensitive to the heart of the other person. In that proverb, it says it's a poor decision when someone is hurting, when someone is mourning or grieving, to ignore that and pretend like everything's all right and nothing's happening. To act like everything's fine when it's not. A true friend weeps with those who are weeping and rejoices with those who are rejoicing. So read the room, right? Read the the relationship. Don't pretend like everything's fine when it's not. And while we're at it, if you have people in your life who are battling with mental issues, battling with depression, trying to tell them just to think better or just stop being depressed, that's not helpful and that's not encouraging and that's not being aware of the situation. And that last point of, I don't know, just pray about it. While it is a Christian thing, an amen and amen, prayer is a strong, powerful thing that Christians have. Prayer is good and helpful. If that's all you're adding to the situation, that's not being a good friend. That's not being aware of their emotional needs. Know the situation. Again, walking with someone. Being engaged in their life. Walk with them and know the heart of the person and then respond in kind. Be aware of the heart of the person and the situation they are in and respond in a way that is helpful, not in a way that just makes you feel better and makes the tension lighter. Proverbs 26, 18, and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. The sarcasm, the jokes that cut people down, the things that cross the line from funny to mean, and then we use that phrase, I'm only joking, to make it all okay. We talked last week, words matter. Words can cut. Words can hurt. Solomon says you are like a madman throwing branding irons around or just launching arrows with no care about where they're going to fall. With, if you are just randomly saying words, if you are just spouting off these kind of words, That's similar to saying whatever you want and trying to put just joking Band-Aid over it. Just kidding. That's like being a madman who shoots arrows, not worrying about where they're going to land. Again, me and my best friend, he is uh, the kind of person who uh, really does not respond well to uh, public um, being put on the spot, uh, especially being the brunt of a joke on the spot uh, in front of people. I've had to learn that over time. And multiple times, because I am that guy who will make that joke, who will cross that line, multiple times he's had to pull me aside and say, Tim, that's not okay. That hurt. And that's why our friendship has lasted, because he can be open and honest with me. And it's something I have to be mindful of, that to be aware of the situation, to be aware of people's heart. Because a true friend is aware, they consider the person and the relationship, and they seek to build one another up, not tear each other down for a laugh. A true friend is constant, always there, trustworthy. You can depend on them. They are open. They will have the hard conversations with you, and they are aware. They know your heart. They know what's going on, and they speak into that. We could kind of boil that down into a true friend is always honest and always invested. So how are your friends with these things? When you think about that inner circle of people you have in your life, how do they stack up in these four categories? How are you in these four categories? Where do you need to grow? Who do you need to confess and and ask for forgiveness and and repent of some things to? What needs to change right now? Because for me, like I said, it's it's that aware thing. Because I tend to, I'll, I'll say truth and not worry about the situation. Like this is what the Bible says, so there it is. That's not always, while I might come out of love, that's not always the most loving thing to do. That's the place I need to grow. I need to be able to be more emotionally aware of the people I'm engaging with. Where do you need to grow? Where do you need to change? What needs to happen right now? So in studying this and reading this over and reading these Proverbs over throughout the week, I've come to the conclusion, conclusion, I don't think it's possible to be this kind of friend on our own. But thankfully, we don't have to be. Because through the gospel, we can have the power to be a good friend. If you want to turn, you can turn to John 15. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it for you. John 15, starting in verse 12, says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is Jesus talking this is John fifteen this is getting towards the end of the book. This is getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the crucifixion and Jesus in these last couple of chapters of John is is just as, as clear as he can as active as he can he's trying to show the disciples who he is what he's about to do and what he's calling them to do the life he's calling them to and he says to be a true friend is to lay down your life for another Jesus is our true friend he is constant Matthew twenty-eight 20 that's at the end of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew says I am with you always to the end of the age he's not going anywhere he is with you and he is for you. Jesus is trustworthy. We see it in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Genesis 3, God promises a Savior. God promises one who's going to defeat Satan. God promises one who's going to restore and redeem what has been broken by sin. He made a promise, and thousands of years later, Jesus fulfills that promise. He is trustworthy. Trust, trustworthy means to be proven, to be established, to be worth the investment, worth the time. Romans 5 eight God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ proved his trustworthiness by going to the cross on our behalf, in our place. He is proven. He is trustworthy. He is open. He is candid with us. Verse 15 Verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus made everything known. He is open. He has shared everything with us that we need to know for right living, for wisdom, right? Wisdom is the act of right living. It's here. He has showed us what we need. He isn't holding anything back. There's no secret to decode. There's no, special, there's no special hidden meaning about how to live an abundant life. It's in the Bible. God gave us his word. He is open and clear. He speaks truth to us. He is truth. The Bible says it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's why I think when we are in sin, when we're pursuing sin, we tend to avoid the Bible. We tend to avoid people who are going to speak truth into our lives. Because we know that Scripture is going to convict. It's what it does. It's going to challenge us, it's going to move, and it's going to shape us. And oftentimes, we don't want that. We don't want to just stay in our dirt pile. We just want to stay in our sin. We don't want to go get clean. Because it's a lot more fun over here, or so we think, until something bad happens. Christ is candid and clear with his words and his thoughts. And even uses us to do that for other people. He uses his saints, he uses Christians to be that voice. In our lives, people, have, people can speak into us to share truth. That's Jesus speaking through that person. He is open, he is candid with us, he is aware. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. Amen and amen, he is the good shepherd and he will hold his sheep. If you twist an ankle, he will hold you and he will carry you when need be. He will be gentle and kind and compassionate but he is also the same guy who rode in and flipped tables and made a whip and got everybody out of the temple. He's the same guy who's going to return on a horse with a big sword and a tattoo on his leg. He is aware of the situation. He will deal with you as you need. There are times where you need to just be held and loved and cared for, and that's what Jesus does. And there are times where he needs to be stern and strong and discipline, not punish, discipline his children because he loves them. He knows how to deal with you best as you need it. Not what you think you need, but he knows what you need at that moment. He is the very embodiment of what a good friend is, what a true and real friend is. But Jesus as our example and as our friend isn't all, because the gospel goes beyond. It's not just that Jesus is our example. Yes, he is. We can look to him on how to live this abundant life. But the gospel moves in us. The gospel gives us the power to be friends. It puts us all on the same level. Because if you believe in the gospel, we know we aren't perfect. We know we need a savior. We know we can't earn it and we need grace. We know we need forgiveness and those things can't be found anywhere but through Jesus Christ. And so for those who have put their faith in Jesus, you have experienced, you've tasted grace. You know forgiveness. You know unconditional, everlasting love. And because we've experienced it, we now have the ability to show it to others. Because of the gospel, we can be the kind of friends, we can be those kind of friends to other people. Jesus is that friend to us, and so in turn, we can do that through others, through the power of the gospel, because the gospel changes relationships. I've said it often we are saved through the gospel. We are saved from hell, from the wrath of God, through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we are also saved to be a blessing to others. And one of the ways we can do that is to be a good friend. I mean, look at our church. I tell people this all the time. When I explain, when I describe CF, is I tell people there is no other reason other than the gospel that this group of people should be in the same place at the same time invested in each other's lives. Because we have a lot of different people. We have different ages, different races, different cultures, different bank account levels. We have a whole mixed mosh of people here. Amen. It's beautiful, and I love it. And the reason we can do this, the reason that we can do community in this church is because of the gospel, because the foundation is that we can admit, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know what I'm doing. I I need a savior. We can be invested in each other's lives because we can say, look, I'm here because I know I can't do this on my own. And I'm seeking after community. It happens. Community happens. Why? Because faith in the gospel of Jesus frees us to be open and honest and real with people. Because saying I am a Christian is saying I don't have it all together. But I know the one who made me. I know the one who knows me and who loves me. I know the one who died for my sins in my place. Saying I am a Christian, being part of a community is saying I have a friend who has showed the greatest of love for me by laying down his life for me. It is by the power of the gospel that we have experienced true friendship and likewise can be that friend to other people. And so I implore you, I was at a conference this week and the thing that I took away from it is just that reminder of just how big and awesome and beautiful the gospel is. That it is a life changing, it is not just, okay I'm saved, I'm going to put my feet up until Christ returns. No, it it is an everyday remembering and rediscovering of the grace that we needed, the grace that we need through Jesus. And letting that motivate, letting that transform the way that we talk, the way that we think, the way that we are friends with other people. Do not minimize, do not forget, do not let go of the gospel because the good news that Jesus Christ came to restore what has been broken by sin, to redeem us back to himself, to get us back to perfect relationship with one another and with God, that can't be something that's just, we store that away. We only bring it out at Easter. We only bring it out at Christmas. No, that needs to be an everyday day. Re remember, rediscover the gospel and its power, and its power to be a good friend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for your word, um, God. We thank you that uh, this book of Proverbs is man; it's clear and it's it's wisdom, and it's it's just right there. Lord, you're calling us to be better friends. You're calling us to love one another. You're calling us to have those people around us to have influence on us, to choose them wisely, but also to live in such a way where people want us in their inner circle. God, help us to be those kind of friends. Lord, if we have people in our lives that we need to maybe push a little bit farther away from our influence, God, help us with those hard conversations. Lord, teach us, show us, Show us what it looks like to be this good friend. Teach us, mold us, shape us, change us. Those areas of our lives where we are too guarded, where we are too uh, resistant to change, Lord, break us down in those places. Let the gospel break us down in those places. Let the grace and love and forgiveness and joy found at the cross, let those things change us. Let those things break us and, and make us new. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. To come and die for us. To come and to show us what it means to live an abundant life. To come and be our friend. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. God, thank you. Lord, as we go out today, help us to be the lights you have called us to be. Help us to be the friends you have called us to be. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.